Thank you. Um, learning stuff and teaching stuff is is actually kind of fun. Um, and not always, like let's all admit it's not always fun, but it can be fun, right? Uh, Tina and I both went through uh, our master's programs at the same time. She has been a lifelong educator and I have not, but we both were going through an education master's degree program. And one of the projects they gave us is to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of a learner so we could understand what it's like to be in their position. So when we're in the classroom and we're frustrated with somebody that we're trying to teach something, we can feel what they feel, right? So that was a great experience for us to put ourselves in the, in the situation a position of a learner. And so I wanted us to, to kind of have that frame of mind as we go into tonight. And um, let's, uh, let's, let's get going. You ready? Okay. Um, Jesus called every one of his followers to make disciples, right? So if you're in this room and you have made a decision to follow Jesus, you are a Jesus follower, then you have a calling on your life to be a disciple maker, that's God's calling on your life. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. This is what Jesus left his followers with. And he told them, hey, you need to go and you need to make disciples. You need to teach everybody you possibly can the things that I've taught you. He put them in that position of, of being teachers, of being demonstrators of what it's like to follow Jesus. And if we bring that into today's culture, this, this idea of making disciples is super countercultural, right? But there is no more significant disciple-making relationship than parenting. And Pastor Leah, I think, did a great job of reminding us of that last week when she was in here talking to us about the topic of parenting. And tonight is, is very much right on the heels of, of what she shared with us. But tonight's really specifically focused on that disciple-making aspect of raising up the next generation. And I know not everybody in the room is a parent, uh, but we all have a place in this process, and, and we're going to refer to that a couple times. Uh, but let's keep in mind whenever we're talking about this throughout the night, we're, we're talking about the principle of raising up that next generation of devoted Jesus followers. And so for those of us parents in the room, yes, that's a very easy application. That's for us. Uh, for those of us that are not parents, like we all have people that we have influence. God's given us influence in somebody's life. And we need to remember that calling that is on our lives by Jesus to be disciple makers. If we're followers of his, we have a calling on our lives to be disciple makers. And um, this whole idea of disciple making, it's not the American way, but it is the Jesus way. Our, our American culture has swung to this incredible place. I don't really know if the incredible is the right word, but our, our culture has swung to this place of not wanting to lead our kids to any way of believing. When, when it comes to, to religion, when it comes to gender identity issues, when it comes to I mean, you name it, our culture does not want us leading our kids to any specific way of doing or being or believing. 
they want us to let our kids decide for themselves all these critical things. And, and, and what in the world? <laughs> like, why would we leave our kids to fend for themselves in the most critical areas of life and eternity? If we truly love our kids, then we, we will go to the Bible, we will see what Jesus has to say on the subject, and we will do that. Right? And so moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, body of Christ, whoever we are, this is for all of us as we raise up the next generation of devoted followers of Jesus. And when we do it well, it's worth celebrating. When we do it poorly, we need to repent. And in both cases, we have the perfect father to help us. That passage in Matthew says that I will be with you to the end of the age. He has promised to be with us in this. We're not on our own. He's with us and his grace is more than enough. So, so let's invest our lives well. Let's partner with God in developing that next generation to flourish. Pastor Leah last week used uh, the Deuteronomy passage, uh, Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 to 22, um, where we're told, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. God, God speaking here. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Be careful to obey all these commands I'm giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his ways and holding tightly to him. Um, I don't know, like there's a lot there and this is a specific instruction in the Old Testament to the people of Israel uh, as, as they're to raise up their next generation. And so I, I know this isn't a specific thing to, you know, you and I, American Christian today, but the principles that are there apply very directly to us as followers of Jesus. That there, there is something to this following of Jesus that we are to pass on. Like we're, we're to talk, we're to have Jesus conversations on a regular basis. And it's to be a very, like as regular as breathing is. Um, I don't know what your house looks like, but in my house, there's lots of words. There's lots of words. Um, if like, I think Hobby Lobby like threw up in my house. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's like words, there's boards with words on them and framed words and words, there's words everywhere, right? And, and um, most of them are Jesus words, which is awesome. And, and, and it's, it's a very regular part of my daily experiences. I, like, it, it's in the spirit of what is written here in Deuteronomy. You know, it talks about writing the truths of God on the doorposts of your house and having those Jesus conversations. One of the reasons I love the fact that every time our kids walk out of kids' church at Sound Life Church, they walk out with a car card that has things that our kids learned that day in church that are specifically designed to go in the car with them and mom or dad or whoever is part of their family and start a spiritual conversation, to start a Jesus conversation as they are on the road, right? Like, that's why we do those things. And, and I love that. And, and parenting is, is 
key to experiencing God's blessing in both the present and future generations. And, and a major part of parenting being a blessing to both the parents and the children. How many of you want parenting to be a blessing to you and your kids? Okay. Yes. Good. The ma a major part of, of parenting being a blessing to both of us is teaching them the right things. And the number one way we teach is by example. The number one way we teach is by example. And, and this principle uh, it is true in parenting as well as any other relationship that we hope to reflect God in. And so I want to give us four examples of discipling our kids tonight. Four examples of discipling our kids. The first one is that we pursue a Christ-like posture. We pursue a Christ-like posture. If, um, if you're using our Bible reading plan right now, the one with Nikki and Pippa Gumbel, um, the, the Bible in one year plan, uh, the parallel passage to, to the one I'm going to share with you here was, was in yesterday's Bible reading in the book of Mark. But in Matthew 18, verse 1, uh, it says, About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's a strong word. That's a strong statement. The, the image, the depiction, the, the description of greatness in the kingdom of God is childlike humility. So if we are going to call ourselves kingdom citizens, let's be sure to realize and recognize the significance of children in that kingdom. They're, they are not people in waiting. Sometimes we treat kids like they're, like they're not really people yet. Like we know they are not yet who they are going to be, but they're not people in waiting. They're, they're people now. So let's see that and let's see everyone's spiritual journey as, as equally important, regardless of what age they may be at at that moment. Let's see their, the spiritual journey of our kids is vitally important. Our, our children are, are a gift to us all. They are image bearers of the most high. And I don't know about you, but when I would, used to look at my little image bearers, sometimes I had a hard time seeing that. Anybody else? Okay. Yeah, it is real. You know, sometimes it's like, that's a little Beelzebub right there. <laughs> you know, like it feels like that. But God's word makes it very clear that they are little image bearers of him. So it's really important that I mean, basically, Jesus in that passage is saying, don't mess with my kids. In, in Matthew 19, just one chapter after what I just read for you, and Jesus' strong words about, about his kids, one chapter later, Matthew 19, verse 14, says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, those guys, remember them? The disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. 
But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. It took the disciples one chapter to forget. Jesus saying, don't mess with my kids. <laughs> it took them one chapter to forget that Jesus said, these are the ones that are showing you what the kingdom of God is, who is greatest. Right? One chapter. And, and if those guys that hung out with Jesus day and night can forget in one chapter, how quickly do you think we can forget? <laughs> right? It doesn't, take so, it doesn't take too long. Having one of those days in the house, kids are running and screaming and yelling and breaking stuff and spilling stuff and whatever, we can forget pretty quick. Or when they're bigger kids and they're maybe running through the house and breaking stuff, <laughs> whatever, we can forget, right? We need to be about getting our kids and Jesus together, making space for them and blessing them as Jesus blessed them. I want you at your tables to talk for a couple minutes. Uh, here, here's something I just want to throw at you for a discussion. How could we as parents or, or just as people level the playing field and treat the spiritual development of children as equal to or even more important than our own spiritual development? And, and how could our church do this? How could our, how could our growth, group do, growth groups do this? How could we as parents or people level the playing field and treat the spiritual development of children as equal to or even more important than our own? Ready, go. So the first thing discipling our kids looks like is pursuing a Christ-like posture. And as we look at those passages of Scripture, we, we see Jesus bringing children to himself. We see Jesus, some of the parallel passages in the gospel talk about Jesus um, kneeling down, getting down to their level. It talks about him blessing them, putting, laying his hands on them. Those are all examples that we see in Jesus, very welcoming, very inviting in his words, say, let the children come to me. And that's the kind of posture, if we're going to be effective disciples of, of that next generation, whether they're our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, the kids that we have filling this amazing body of Christ here at Sound Life Church, we need to pursue a Christ-like posture with them. Secondly, uh, we need to be Jesus-centered, not morality-centered. Discipling our kids means that we're Jesus-centered, not morality-centered. This, this means that our parenting is not focused on a bunch of do's and don'ts, the what, but it is focused on the why, and that is following Jesus. Um, uh, my growing up experience was way more morality-centered than it was Jesus-centered. I grew up way more afraid of getting in trouble than being concerned about loving and living for Jesus. That was my experience. And, and even in my adulthood, I think I drive my wife crazy because I am this, like, incredible rule follower. Like, I have to follow the rules. I read the directions when I put stuff together. I follow the traffic rules, except sometimes I drive too fast. But for the most part, I follow the rules. Like, I, I use the turn signals. I do all the things because, like, it's just in me now that I have to follow the rules. And I'm not saying follow the rules is a bad thing, but my motivation for following the rules has always been fear-based because I didn't want to get in trouble. It didn't have anything to do with being motivated to do the right things because of having a heart for Jesus and wanting to live the Jesus way. It was always fear-based, okay? And so morals 
are not transformative. Morals don't cause us to hold the faith during crisis or difficulty. Morals, morals are impersonal. They're, they're rigid. They're, they're just do's and don'ts. They, and they bind us to a repeated pattern of failure. Right? Like, I've failed a lot in my life. And every time I have, I've just been like terrified of whatever consequences are coming my way because of that. It's that, that fear that's been in me. So morals, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but that, that's not where all this should come from. Because being redeemed from fear being redeemed from death and sin is a much more exciting and compelling than, than being kind or being good. Being, being kind and being good are fruit of the Jesus way. Parenting and, and mentoring and teaching should be from a framework of Jesus, loving him, living for him, and following him. And, and so if, if Jesus is Lord is the most important thing in our lives, then we may need to begin saying and living that clearly and repetitively because that's how our kids learn. So, so moms and dads in the room and aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, body of Christ, we need to expand our understanding of the good news of Jesus. And we need to be discipling ourselves in the good news of Jesus. Because this is the truth that, that Jesus wants to be Lord of our lives. Every day, every moment, this, this is the truth that Jesus came to show us God's love it's, it's the truth that Jesus came to set up God's kingdom. It, it, it's not about a get out of jail free card. But it's about a fuller life now. The, this is the truth that God's story is, is the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. And it's not finished yet. It, it, it's the truth that, that I'm part of the same church that we see in the book of Acts. It's the truth that, that I have a part to play in God's story. And it's the truth that we have the Holy Spirit to help us. It's our responsibility to help our kids see Jesus. It's our responsibility to help our kids know Jesus. It's our responsibility to help our kids experience Jesus. To love Jesus, to follow Jesus. That's our responsibility. So let's offer our kids as, let's, let's offer our kids Jesus as the thread that weaves it all together in life. If we think of it that way, let's offer our kids Jesus as the thread that weaves it all together in life. Um, when, when our girls were growing up, I think I've shared this in the parenting class that Tina and I have done. Um, whenever the girls would ride with me in the car, uh, we had this like, way of dis deciding who got to ride shotgun and who had to ride in the back. And there was like a, a fair and equal process for determining that because that was always a big deal, I guess. So whoever was riding shotgun with dad got to, like they were the navigator, they were climate control, they were like audio, they, were, they, had, they controlled all the things. I just wanted to drive and they could do all the things. And so the music selection was based on whatever they chose. And... Um, uh, our oldest daughter and I were in the car, this probably 15 years ago, and she's, you know, bebopping to this song, and um, I'm, I'm like listening to the words, and she is not, and uh, she just likes the, you know, the tune and the whatever, and the whole song's about marijuana, just, you know, uh, the whole song, that's what the whole song was about, and, and she had no clue. 
And, and so I'm just, you know, letting her bebop over there. And so I just like, I could have gone, so if, if this would have been me and my mom in the car, this is how this would have gone. Turn that off. That's disgusting. How could you, right? That's how it would have gone with me and my mom. I love my mom, and sometimes she still does that to me, but um, that, that's just how it went. Remember the morality-based thing and how that was, that was just my experience growing up. It was all about the do's and the don'ts. So realizing that about myself as I became a dad, I, I decided I wanted to do that differently and give my kids the opportunity to grow up with, with a different basis of living life. And so in this moment, when I realized what the song is about, first I kind of laughed, um, but then I just, I made a decision in that moment. I was like, hey sis, what's this song about? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> just, I was like, okay. So just so you know, the whole thing's about marijuana. She's like, what? I was like, yeah. She's like, I, so I'd, I'd wait for it and you know, uh, one of the lyrics that come up like there, that, that's marijuana. Oh, uh, that one there, that's marijuana. Oh, like she got this whole education, you know, in like two minutes in the car listening to this song. And so all of a sudden she had this realization of what she was listening to that she'd had no realization just a couple minutes before. And she changed the song. I, I didn't have to tell her to change the song. I didn't have to like do what my mom would have done. That's disgusting. How could you? You're a terrible person. You know? All I had to do was just say, hey, sis, do you realize what you're listening to? And is that what you want to be listening to? And, and let her make the decision. Now, sometimes there are points, you know, where as parents, we do have to step in and tell them what the decision's going to be. But it was awesome to be able to at least give the opportunity for her to make the decision for herself for the reasons that were healthy and good. Because she really did and still does have a desire to follow Jesus and live the Jesus way. She just didn't realize and she she just didn't realize she wasn't in that moment. And so as soon as she had the opportunity, she made the choice. She made the decision. Now and they didn't always go that way in my household. Just I want you to to have an example of what that could look like, right? Um when, when Jesus is at the center of our experiences and conversations with our kids, they begin to see life and faith as a as life of joy and freedom instead of a life of trying and failing to meet the expectations. Um, and, and so I just wanted you to kind of have that example of, of what that looks like. So around your tables, uh, talk about this for a second. In what way... Does placing Jesus at the center of the conversation change your mindset and the conversations that you might have with your kids? In what way does placing Jesus at the center of the conversation change your mindset and the conversation that you might have with your kids? Go. First thing we need to do to disciple our kids well is to uh, pursue a Christ-like posture. Second thing is be Jesus-centered, not morality-centered. And, and that Jesus-centered versus morality-centered, uh, as far as like we talked a lot in the terms of parenting, but in the body of Christ and how we deal with the kids that are part of our church family, uh, I, I grew up in church and I, I can remember as a teenager, um, my buddies and I were all in, we had a youth choir at church, we were in the youth choir, and on Sunday night church, they would have the youth choir and the adult choir sing together. Yeah, that, that's kind of how it went. And so, um, you know, we were probably the worst thing that ever happened to that choir. But, um, you know, they would always, we, 
we were like some of the tallest ones, and so we always had to be in the middle because, you know, when you're in a choir, the tall people are in the middle, and then it kind of goes out from that side. And so we would always be late or whatever, and so we'd have to, like, you know, squeeze through and get to the middle to get in our spots and annoy everybody. And so there was one day where we were doing that, and we just hopped up on the, the they were like kind of pews in the choir loft. We just kind of hopped up and, like, kind of were jogging down the pew to get to the middle. And one of the seasoned ladies in the adult choir uh, had snagged a hymnal really quick. It was like the fastest I had ever seen her move. And she, she snagged a hymnal and just clocked me with the hymnal as I went by. Because I was running on the, like, how dare I, like, run on the pew thing in the choir loft. You just clocked me with the hymnal. And I'm like, you know, it kind of went to my spot and kind of rubbed it out, and my buddy's laughing at me. And, and so that was her way of handling the moment, right? And when we left the choir loft to go back to the back and get ready for service to start, one of the other very seasoned ladies in the choir just pulled me aside and said, hey, um, next time, maybe that's not the best way to do that. Could, would you mind just doing that differently next time? And I was like, sure, no problem. That was the other way of handling it, Right? And so here in the body of Christ, when you see all of those, whether they're 17 and bigger than you or whether they're seven and a lot smaller than you or somewhere in between, how we manage and deal with those moments is important. Because I still remember getting clocked with a hymnal 40 years ago. And I, I still remember, oh, it, uh, it's the kind of a Bible-shaped book that's full of songs that you sing in church. Yeah, we used to have books that told us all those things before we had screens and stuff. I'm old, I'm old enough to, there weren't screens or projectors or we had books, old school. Yeah. And so imagine somebody just whacking you in the head of the Bible and you got it going on. Okay. Uh, third thing. Yeah, I shouldn't assume that people know what those things are. Those are old. Those are, Okay. <laughs> I just remember a flash of red, so I don't know. Uh, okay, third thing. Third thing. We, if we're going to disciple our kids well, we need to put words to our faith. We need to talk about it. Put words to our faith. When we really care about something, we find a way to clearly explain it to our kids, and it comes up over and over, right? They, use, they never get it the first time. I don't get it the first time. It needs to come up over and over. And, and what goes without saying soon goes without doing. We have to tell our kids what it looks like to practically follow Jesus. So when it comes to, to our prayer life, we, we need to tell our kids, this is about gratitude. This is about thanksgiving. This is about our need for God. This is about God's care for us. We, we talk about why we pray. We tell our kids why we pray. We, we talk about prayer and, and we pray in life situations for them to see and hear and participate. When it comes to our, our time in God's word, our Bible reading, we let them see us doing it for us and, and talk to them about why. We do it with them. We talk to them and we, we teach them how to look things up and how to find things in the word of God. We, we talk to them about where to start reading and, and where to go next. 
when it, when it comes to our worship experience, we, we verbalize how and why we do this thing called worship. We talk to them about directing our hearts to God. We, we tell them about focusing on God and connecting with God and experiencing God. We, we explain about responding to God's goodness to us. We explain lyrics that they may not catch or understand. I, I text our, our girls today while I was getting ready for this because this is an ongoing conversation in our house because they all grew up in church with us. And, and when we get together as family times, often our conversation like uh, goes to this place of all of the church songs that they misunderstood or didn't, they didn't, like, they interpreted the lyrics wrong. And so I was like, hey, girls, tell me some of our lyric fails growing up in church. And so they threw, I got like four of them from them. Uh, one of them, there was that song, I think it was probably in the 80s, I Sing for Joy. I don't, I don't, anyway, they thought it said Hussing for Joy. Instead of icing for joy, they thought it said hussing for joy. And it, I was like, that's not even a word. And they're like, I know, that's why it didn't make sense. And I'm like, Okay, like for years, they thought it was hussing for joy. They were like teenagers before one of them went like, oh, it's I sing for joy. Yes. Um, this is a Christmas one, but one of them thought it was uh, instead of glory in it's Chelsea's day they thought it said Gloria, it's Chelsea's day It's Chelsea's day Like, go Chelsea. I don't know. Um, there was a song that was sang about the Ancient of Days, and one of her girls thought it was the Asian of Days. I don't, I don't know why. Um, uh, when we were growing up in, in kids' church, we always sang a song. Uh, um, oh, now I'm going to draw a blank. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. Uh, yeah, that one. I, uh, the Lord's Army, yes, that one. Um, so one of my girls thought is, uh, it said, ride in the calorie and, and shoot the artillery, which again, it's like, that, sis, that doesn't make sense. She's like, I know, I, I, I didn't get it. Um, so sometimes, uh, just like my assumption that everybody knew what a hymnal was, okay, sometimes we assume our kids know what all the things that we're singing mean or that they're catching the lyrics, um, and they aren't always. And so they're not catching the meaning that is behind the beautiful things that we're singing to God. And so it's, it never hurts us to like, for our young ones especially, to make sure they understand that they have an understanding of what we're singing. And then we have those conversations with them. Uh, when it comes to our giving, worship and our giving, we, we talk with our kids about what and why we give to the church. We, we help them understand that, that all we have is God's. And so we ask him what his desire is for those dollars. Acts 2, 44 and 45 says, uh, it's talking about the early church, and it says all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. We, we, we explain these things. We explain that we give to God the first and the best because we trust him with all the rest, right? Um, we talk about we talk about our giving experience with, with gladness, and we communicate that attitude in our giving. Uh, like 2 Corinthians 9 tells us, you, you must decide in your heart how much to give, and then don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And so we talk about those things. We communicate those attitudes in giving to our kids. If our kids see us writing out that check and grumbling the whole time and throwing in the offering thing, like we're mad about it. Like, what, are we, what message are we sending our kids? But if we communicate to them the joy in giving, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. 
oh man, I am failing big time. If they see you hitting the buttons on, not buttons, but the, you know, the screen on your phone extra hard as you text give, you're like, is that better? Okay, so sorry. I know, thank you, I appreciate it. Um, in our giving, though, we, we express to our kids how we give out of love for Jesus. We, we help them know and understand where, where the money goes when we give it. We, we give our kids context and understanding. When it comes to our, our worship through serving, we tell our kids why we serve, because that doesn't always make sense to them. Like, why are you doing this? Like, life is full, you're busy, you're working hard. Why are you serving on top of all that? We, we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus to other people. We, we explain how we are continuing Jesus' work on the earth and we reinforce the building of God's kingdom. We, we, we put words to our faith. It's important in discipling our kids that we put words to it. We talk to our kids about the things we do that are part of faith. At your tables, here's something for you to talk about. What is one thing that you can provide commentary on for your kids? Something that you've left unsaid so far or something you've just not done the best job with so far? Something you can tackle right away? And, and what are some of your initial ideas about how you would do that, okay? One thing that you can provide commentary on for your child that you've left unsaid so far or maybe you've just not done a good job with it so far, something you can tackle right away and what are some of your initial ideas about how you're gonna do that, go. We talked about pursuing a Jesus Christ-like posture. We talked about being Jesus-centered versus morality-centered. We talked about putting words to our faith, talking about it. Number four is follow through. If we want to disciple our kids well, we need to follow through. One of, one of the greatest things we can do in discipling our kids is to answer for our own lives because we disciple from our own experience. And so if you're intimidated by the prospect of discipling your kids because you've not been a great disciple yourself, then be your own disciple and invite your kids to join you. What, what does it look like to follow Jesus in your everyday life? When, when you say Jesus is Lord, what does that mean to you? How, how do you show and tell your kids what an active faith in Jesus looks like? The, the answers are in Jesus. Matthew 22, uh, verses 36 to 38. Uh, there's a passage here that says, somebody came to Jesus, they said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love others. Luke 9, 23, uh, talking about Jesus. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. We die to ourselves and reorient around Jesus. Love God, love others, die to self, reorient around Jesus. This, this saying and doing, this follow through that needs to be part of our discipleship of our kids uh, requires surrender uh, of us. Um, it, it requires that we live the Jesus way, that we look to Jesus in all things, that we make the daily choice. 
this requires us to, to take a listening stance in life, to take a listening stance. I, don't, I have been told in my life that I'm, I'm a good listener. Um, I'm not always a good engager, but I'm usually a good listener, okay? Um, so, so what does it mean to take a listening stance in life, to have that surrender peace uh, in place? Uh, it, it means time in God's word, Bible reading. If we want to hear God, if we want to be a good listener when it comes to God, okay, we, we are in God's word. We hear what it has to say to us. We, we are taking time to pray, to be in conversation with God. We are submitting to spiritual leaders in our lives. We are taking time to worship God. We, we are being with the body of Christ. We are uh, exercising hospitality. We are people that practice meditating on God and on his word. And not meditation in the like mystical Eastern religion sense that those approaches tell you to empty your mind. We're talking about filling our minds with Jesus, filling our minds with the Holy Spirit. That we practice that, that we practice solitude, that we practice silence, that we practice fasting. Uh, we show our kids what it's like for someone to listen to the voice of God. Uh, that's why I loved at the beginning of this year, the 21 days of prayer and fasting that we had. Awesome opportunity to demonstrate to that next generation an aspect of listening to God and following God. Um, something that they don't have very much opportunity to see, and we had a perfect opportunity. And in all of these things that we strive for consistency, no matter who is or is not around, we strive for consistency. And another part of this is that we don't provoke our children we don't provoke our children. Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We know how to push our kids' buttons just as much as they know how to push ours, right? Any, any moms or dads would be willing to say you've been guilty of pushing a child's button before? My hand's up, okay? My kids would tell you, dad's hand should be up right now, okay? We know how to push their buttons. We instead need to tell and show our kids how much we love them. We need to be careful of how we step into difficult moments. Um, you know, when, when there is a highly charged moment, uh, we could barge into that moment and show who, them who's in charge and, you know, put our foot down and use all the big words and rah, 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 rah. we could do that. And sometimes we do. But we could also step into that moment and go, help me understand. Like, why, why is this going this way? Why is this happening? Why would you say that? Help me understand. We need to be careful about how we step into difficult moments. We need to ask ourselves if we are doing and saying things out of love for our children or are we being motivated by something else? Maybe it's anger in that moment. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's fatigue. Maybe it's annoyance. Maybe it's embarrassment. What is our motivation for how we're approaching that moment? And again, we strive for consistency. So we surrender. We don't provoke our kids. And last thing, and this might sound like kind of an odd one, but we learn to lament. You know what it means to lament? Grieve, sorrow is involved in that. Tackling difficult things. 
that involves sadness and disappointment. Um, we need to be able to have open and honest conversations with our kids as much as possible in those difficult times. That, that we share with them in appropriate ways what we're doing when, when we're in some of those spiritual practices. That we, we share our faith journey with our kids in an appropriate way as we walk through challenging things. And we tell our kids that it's okay to talk to God about hard things. And we do it in front of them. We do it with them. We model for kids how to do this. Because it's not easy, right? It's not easy for us. It's way more not easy for them. I don't, that didn't make it. Grammar was not my thing. Anyway, I think you get the idea, right? We help our kids walk through these things. And um, th there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee how it's all going to turn out. And there's probably testimonies and stories in this room about people that have did their very best with their kids, invested in them, tried to point them to Jesus. And today, those same kids are, are making choices that are not honoring to the Lord and are not following Jesus. I, I understand that. The, the truth is we live in a broken world and sometimes we choose brokenness. And, and that, that's grievous to the heart of a mom and a dad to see the kids choosing brokenness. But we've been called on to give them every opportunity to choose Jesus instead to equip them with everything they need to choose Jesus instead and pray over them faithfully that they will choose Jesus instead. The choice is going to be theirs. But we are called on to do everything we can to give them everything they need to choose the Jesus way. And I know it doesn't always work out. Tina and I are actually walking through some things with some of the very best friends in, in our world right now that they have three kids just like we do. They're a tiny bit older than ours. And, and, Two of the three are walking through some really hard stuff. They're choosing brokenness. And, and those, our friends, have lived a sacrificial, God-honoring, Jesus way life. And they have a couple of kids that are choosing brokenness. But I also know that it can go the Jesus way also. And, and can I, is it okay if I finish tonight with just... Uh, an example of that. And I'm, I, I am, I know I'm asking your permission and you really don't have a choice, but um, I, I am trying to say that humbly because I want to read, oh, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm not going to cry. Not going to do this. Um, I'm, I just, no, <laughs> you stop, you stop. <clears throat> um, I, I want to read something that, that one of my daughters wrote. Uh, just a couple months ago. And um, it, my, I'm so grateful to this point, our kids are following Jesus. And there have been those moments where we've not been so sure that it was going to go that way. In this moment, they're, they're in a good place. And I just want to share what one of our kids, from that perspective, is what it looks like right now. Can I do that? Is that okay? Can I be a dad? Okay. I need my phone. All right. So I know it doesn't always go the right way. It doesn't always go the way that we would hope or that we would desire. But this, um, oh, Shannon, what'd you just do? Okay, this is our oldest daughter. Uh, her name is Lauren. And uh, she says, uh, she's kind of a blogger in Christian world circles and stuff like that. So <clears throat> um, she said, some of the best advice I ever received was a text from my dad before one of the, 
Bigger events I have ever led. All right, this shouldn't do this to me. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, some of the best advice I ever received was in a text from my dad before one of the bigger events I'd ever led. She leads women's ministries at her church down in Oregon. Um, it was a simple reminder, but it's turned out to be words I constantly try to live by, and not just in leadership or big crowds, but at the grocery store and when I walk down the hall and through my home, he told me, remember to walk slowly through the room. How easy it is to get so consumed with maximizing our time and moving on to the next thing on the list that we miss out what's right in front of us. To become so concerned with accomplishing the quote-unquote work of our mission and ministries that we move right past the people God's put in our path. <sighs> Come on, Shannon. Uh, we can end up striving so hard for what feels important that we miss the whole point. I know I'm prone to be a Martha, to rush through rooms and busy myself right into missing out on being present at the feet of Jesus or still enough to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit. I can miss the small ways God's asking me to be a good steward because I've become fixated on my place in the big picture. More often than I wish, I'm quote-unquote distracted, the Bible calls it, in Mary and Martha's story, even by good things. And I miss the one thing that's really worth it. I've been thinking about this pace a lot so far this year and about the purposes God might have right in the places he's positioned me if only I'd slow down and do a better job of asking him. What kind of fullness might I be waiting what kind of fullness might be waiting for us if we stopped buying into the lie that efficiency is more valuable than intimacy? This is my biggest goal this year, to move through it at a pace that produces a greater awareness of God's presence, to be so surrendered in the small opportunities for worship that, I've, that I live even the most mundane of them like an offering. Every year, I'm more convinced that kind of stillness and slowness and smallness is the biggest heavenly accomplishment we could ever achieve. So now I'm passing along the advice to you. You are uniquely positioned to glorify God right now, right where he's placed you. Don't forget to walk slowly through the room. It's good, right? I, I can hear that and read that and look at that and go... Thank you, Jesus, because um, something caught, right, along the way. Of all those years, uh, and, and we still pour into our kids, right, just because they're, you know, raising their own families and off doing those things anymore doesn't mean we stop. But all those years that have gone by to this point of, of trying to point them the right way, trying to give them the things they need, trying to say the right things, trying to, you know, all the things, it's a beautiful thing when you can see it come alive in them, Right. And, and I'm grateful for that. And I don't take it for granted because I, I know it can be a fleeting thing. So I uh, just wanted to kind of throw that example out of what it could look like. Um, so I'm, Jeanette, I'm going to not tackle that last question just for sake of time, if that's okay with you, and let you just come and close. You good with that? Okay. Those are the four things, discipling our kids. Pastor Jeanette, it's yours. So the four things that he just shared are actually four things that aren't just applicable to us discipling our children or discipling other people, but for us to actually be a good disciple. Were you thinking that already? Yeah, 
good job. Will you share with your table, in a matter of words, which of the four you need to work on? I hate to interrupt all these amazing conversations, but if you have children here at church tonight, you got to go. You got to get up. You got to go get your kids and get out of here. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for these people that showed up and are willing to have conversations with us. Lord, bless them and keep them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't have kids, keep, keep talking. Pray over each other. Encourage each other. This stuff's heavy. This stuff's hard. This, we're all trying to figure this out. Hasta la vista.